Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. And uh, thank you to everybody online who's joining us. Good to see you. My name's Dan. And uh, if you're new with us, thank you so much for being here. We'd love to get to know you. Uh, By the doors, there's a box uh, that has connection cards on top of it. And that's just a way for us to get to know a little bit about you. And so um, if and when you feel comfortable letting us know about you, we would love for you to fill one of those out. And you can put that off, uh, drop that off in the box. Uh, If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 1. This week I was reading part of a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers from the 1800s. And he describes a short conversation between two men. Well, Jack, old fellow, said one man talking to another man who had recently joined the church, I hear you have given up all your pleasures. No, no, said Jack. The fact lies the other way. I've just found all my pleasures, and I've only given up my follies. Spurgeon continues, every Christian man can confirm that way of putting it. We who have believed in Jesus have lost no real pleasures, but we have gained immensely better pleasures. And if anything sinful was a pleasure to us once, it is not so now. When we discovered it to be evil, It ceased to be pleasure, and we thrust it away without regret. We've lost nothing by conversion that was worth the keeping. But what we gained by coming to Christ has been an inconceivable reward to us. Is it not so, brethren? Are we not blessed in Christ? Isn't that great? He preached that a couple hundred years ago, and the, the same is true today. And this is what the Apostle Paul has been telling us in recent weeks in this letter to the Ephesians that the way to our greatest pleasure is not to walk like the world walks, but to trust in Jesus and to walk the way he walks. And so the Apostle Paul has been teaching us how to walk, how to live as God's dearly beloved children. So to walk like the Lord, we must walk in love, we must walk in light, and we must walk in wisdom. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5. And today we're going to explore what it means to walk in wisdom. So let's just reread where we've been here, um, starting at verse 1, and we'll read all uh, through verse 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, 
For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's the word of the Lord. So Paul brings all of these instructions to a head here in verse 15 when he says, look carefully than how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So God wants you to experience the blessing of living a life of wisdom. And he also says that a crucial part of living a life of wisdom is not to live unwisely. Okay. So, so how do we become wise? Well, in God's word, he tells us a number of ways to become wise. In the book of Proverbs, in the wisdom literature of, of the Old Testament, which largely deals with this, God tells us that if we want to become wise, one thing we should do is surround ourselves with wise people who love the Lord. In the book of James, God tells us that the reason we don't have wisdom is because we don't ask God for wisdom. And so we should ask God for wisdom. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said that fools build their lives on the sand, but wise people build their lives on the rock of Jesus' words. And so we must devote ourselves to reading Jesus' words if we want to gain wisdom. And here in verse 16, Paul says that one of the most important ways to live wisely is first to make the best use of your time. And then he gives a reason for that. The reason we must make the best use of our time is because the days are evil. And so he's not talking specifically about day and night here. He's, most, he's talking about the days. This, the, the days in which we live are evil. And as former sons and daughters of disobedience, we are constantly pulled and tempted to waste our time and to waste our lives by doing the same unfruitful works that we used to do when we lived in the darkness. And so that means we have to be sober-minded. We have to be vigilant about our time. We have to use our time in ways that God says is best. Um, and the way that God says is best is often diametrically opposed to the way that the world says is best. And I think this includes doing three things. First, we want to avoid wasting time. Okay? Avoid wasting time. In Psalm 90, verse 12, Moses prays to God, so teach us to number our days 
so that we may get a heart of wisdom. So teach us, Lord, how few are the days we have in this life so that we may live our lives with wisdom. Because when we live in the awareness of how short our lives are, uh, when we live in the awareness that every moment that we have is a gift from God, then we begin to really appreciate every moment that we have. Uh, it, it, it makes us not to want to, to waste our time. It makes us uh, not to want to waste our lives. And when we talk about wasting time and wasting our lives, we have to be careful what exactly we mean by that because some people might say, well, it's a waste of time to do this, this, and this. It's a waste of time to, to, to recreate and do fun stuff. It's a waste of time to rest. That's actually not what the Bible says. Starting in the first chapter of the Bible, we see that God's desire for us is to have times of rest and to rest in him. That is a wise use of time. Uh, That's what the idea of Sabbath is all about, to take time and say, you know what? God is God, I'm not. And even if I don't get all this stuff done that I think I need to get done, God's still got me and he's in control. And that's good. It's more important for me to trust in him. Now, that being said, um, regarding rest and recreation, uh, it should be done in moderation, right? We, we don't want to become lazy. The Bible talks a lot about that. We don't want to become dull. We don't want to become futile in our thinking about God's will and God's purpose for our lives. We don't want to forget that God has a, a reason and purpose and mission for us here. And so we should ask the Lord to help us examine our own lives, to, to see, Lord, how, how can I make the best use of my time in this season of life with the, the, the time that I have, where my family, what my family situation is like, what my job's like, how can I make the best use of my time for your glory, God? And so we, we begin just by asking some practical questions, right? Like, how much time do we really need to spend on social media every day? I mean, at what point is it just a waste, right? I mean, how, how much time do we really need to spend watching the news every day and reading the news? There's a point, yeah, it's good to be informed, but at what point is it like, yeah, this isn't really helpful or edifying to me. Uh, how much time do we really need to spend watching TV and watching movies and watching YouTube? Um, now, these things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. Again, the question we're asking is, at what point am I wasting time? At what point am I not really taking advantage of the time that God has given me? And it takes wisdom to know what moderation looks like and have a healthy balance in our lives. And if we ask the Lord for wisdom and showing us that, he will. Now, the second way to make the best use of our time is to, to stop spending time on wicked activities, right? That's what Paul talked about already in this passage. Stop spending time on what is wicked. So if, if you really do desire to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you've got to ask yourself, am I knowingly spending time on things that God says are wicked? Am I knowingly doing this, spending time on things that God says are, are just wrong? Am I knowingly hanging out with people with whom I tend to do bad stuff that dishonors Jesus' name? Um, again, we need the Lord's help to, to ask us to convict us of, of wickedness. Um, sometimes we have blind spots, but sometimes we don't even see it. We need his help, and we need the help of one another in, in 
in truth and in love. And so we need to ask God, Lord, help me to see false gods that I am spending my precious time worshiping and trusting in instead of trusting you. Um, thankfully, Jesus already died for us and he already rose again. And so he says, confess. I want you to acknowledge your sin. I want you to confess it to me. Ask for forgiveness and turn from your sin. And as you do that, trust in me that I've already forgiven you. That's the blessing of the cross, that in Christ we already have forgiveness. And then though to stop um, the wickedness that we're involved in, and especially habits of sin, uh, we need to try to put practical measures in place in our life that will help us stop spending time on wicked activities. And I'm not gonna list specific examples right here, but we need to pray to the Lord. What would that look like for me in my life um, to do that? And then the third way to make the best use of our time is to prioritize our time. Uh, to, to, to prioritize our time for maximum edification, for maximum service, for maximum kingdom of God expansion. And uh, you know, maybe one of the best aspects of this whole coronavirus time is that it has forced us to slow down. It's just forced us. We haven't had a say in it. And, uh, and so we should, we'd be wise to see this as an opportunity, to see it as an opportunity to evaluate life, our rhythms of life, how we spend our time as individuals and families, and how do we want to spend our time as individuals and families going forward um, if things are how they are or if things continue to improve and, you know, we need to be thinking about these things because the reality is there's a lot of good ways to spend our time. Uh, there's bad ways, there's good ways, um, but, but God calls us to say no to a lot of good things in order to say yes to the best things because we can't say yes to every good thing. We have limited time. And so, God, what are those best things that you want for me and my family that you want me to say yes to? What are those, um, what are those, those activities, what are those commitments, what are those relationships that you want me to make the highest priority uh, that I make sure I get to for the sake of my own physical health, for my own spiritual health, for, for the sake of my uh, family's physical and spiritual health. Um, Lord, what are those activities, those commitments, those relationships that I would be better distancing myself from or, or cutting out of my life at this time because they're, they're not uh, the most helpful or edifying to me? Um, Ask God questions like, how can, I, how can I prioritize ministry and service? So that like we set a goal and I know that me and my family are serving in practical ways, right? Because if we don't set some goals, a lot of times things just won't happen. It's, we have good intentions, but things don't happen. What, how can I prioritize ministry opportunities for myself and my family? In addition to the natural ways that God brings that in our lives. Um, how do I most want to use my life to grow the kingdom of God with the talents and the passions and the time that he's given me? And that's gonna look different for each one of us. And I would encourage you this with your use of time. This just came to my mind though, is this. Don't compare yourself with other people. <laughs> because one thing I've learned in, as, as a Christian and as a pastor is that God allots to us 
different gifts, different amounts of energy, different amounts of what we can commit to. And it's not helpful to say, well, this person does this, this, and this, and I can only do this. It's like, you're not that person. God didn't create everybody the exact same. The question is, with the resources God has given you, with the energy God's given you, how can you use that energy for his glory? And so I think that's a helpful thing um, to remember. It's been helpful for me to know. Um, God's made me me, and I need to figure out, by God's grace, who I am and how I'm wired and what energizes me and how can I use what he's given me to maximize that for, for the good of me and the good of my family and the good of his kingdom. And sometimes you don't know until you just jump in and try stuff. And sometimes you jump in and try stuff and like, dude, I'm energized by this. Sometimes you jump and try stuff and it's like, this is not me. And that's okay. You, sometimes you just have to figure that out. But I encourage you to, to, um, to not compare yourself to others as you do that. Um, in verse 17, Paul says here, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the opposite of foolishness is to understand what the will of the, Lord's, uh, of the Lord is. And he's not specifically talking here about what's that one right career, that one right path, that one right thing uh, God wants me to, to do. And if I don't do that one thing, I'm missing his will. I think the Bible actually talks much more about God's general will for how he wants us to live, regardless of what we do. Because God's much more com uh, concerned about the character of ourselves and who, he turn who he's turning us into more than he's concerned about what we can accomplish for him. You hear that? He doesn't need us. He's more concerned about making us into people who look and love like Jesus Christ rather than uh, specifically we think of career paths or whatever. And so even seniors college students, I'd encourage you that um, one of the best things you can do is invest in your own relationship with Jesus and know that whatever path you pick, Jesus is going to use you there. And it's okay if you don't know exactly what you want to do when you graduate or what you want to do in college. Just follow the Lord, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and uh, he will give you everything you need. <clears throat> so don't be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then Paul tells us one foolish thing not to do, and he tells us one wise thing to do. And the foolish thing Paul tells us not to do is to get drunk with wine, because that is debauchery, he says. And I thought this was an interesting definition of debauchery that I read this week. It's excessive behavior that results in reckless sinfulness. So, because I always thought, I always thought in terms of just getting drunk, right? And that's often associated with it, but it's really excessive behavior that results in reckless sinfulness. And so, obviously, excessive alcohol use is what he's addressing here, almost always results in reckless sinfulness in one way or another, uh, whether that manifests itself in fits of rage, right? Because excessive alcohol use affects different people, different ways. So excess uh, fits of rage or in unrestrained sexual behavior or in careless speech or in vulgar speech or in impaired judgment of another type. But the, 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 the point is that all of these things characterize those unfruitful works of darkness that Paul just told us to have no part of anymore. 
And so instead of foolishly engaging in debauchery by, by getting drunk with alcohol, God tells us, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. So instead of being filled with alcohol, or instead of being filled with drugs that totally alter your mind, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with God. And there are several really interesting things about this little phrase, be filled with the Spirit. It's, it's interesting that God isn't suggesting to us that we be filled with the Spirit. He's not saying, Christians, you really should be filled with the Spirit. It's actually an imperative. It's a command. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then it's also interesting that it's a passive verb, which means it's something done to you. It's not something that you do. Okay, and so in other words, it's, it's describing that something that's done to you. So allow the Spirit to fill you, okay? And it's also interesting that another way to translate this, be filled with the Spirit, is, is, is in the Greek, it has this idea of it's keep being filled with the Spirit. So it's an ongoing activity. It's, it's continually be filled with the Spirit. Live a life full of the Spirit, okay? Now, when a person turns from darkness to Jesus Christ through faith, God's Holy Spirit enters that person permanently, right? That the, the Spirit dwells inside the Christian. The Spirit seals the Christian, securing his or her salvation. We read about this in the first chapter of Ephesians. So, so a good question to ask then is if the Spirit's already filled us, then what does it mean to keep being filled with or what does it mean to keep being filled by the Spirit? Well, it means to consciously, daily yield yourself, submit yourself to the Spirit and to His will, okay? It means daily asking the Spirit to move with power in your heart and in your mind and in your life. I mean, it's one of the reasons why every time I, well, not every time, but when I'm consciously thinking about it and I'm going to open the Bible to have some time with the Lord, I ask the Spirit first to show me what's in there. Because I can read the Word, but without the Spirit's movement in my life, I won't get anything out of it. So it means, it means being filled with the Spirit, it means asking the Lord to help you. It means asking the Lord to, to, to help you abide in Him. It means asking, you, uh, asking the Spirit to help you put to death the, the, the habits of your flesh, the attitudes of your flesh that grieve him, and to put to death the, the evil works and habits in your life, to put to death those false gods in your life that you're, you are imprisoning yourself to and worshiping instead of Jesus. It means asking the Holy Spirit to help you have power to walk in step with him as you do those fruit of the spirit. The Bible describes good fruit, right fruit, true fruit, those things that he loves. Um, being filled with the spirit means, it means abiding in Christ like Jesus talked about. It means drawing our strength, drawing our purpose of life, drawing our acceptance from Jesus and Jesus alone. It means asking the Lord to anoint you with supernatural joy, to anoint you with joy in him, to, to anoint you with supernatural gratitude 
to God. Lord, I don't feel thankful. Help me to have supernatural gratitude. It means asking the Lord to anoint us with supernatural humility before God and for one another because that's not in our flesh to be humble. We need the spirit to do that. And so then now in verse 19 to 21, Paul moves into this as he tells us that as we are filled with the spirit, we should wisely do three things as individuals and as families and as a church. And the first thing he says in verse 19 is be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So notice the, the, the scripture-centeredness of this, okay? All of scripture is God's word, and God's, God's word of perfect wisdom, perfect love to us. And so God wants us to speak scripture to one another. He wants us to encourage one another by speaking to one another and to him the wisdom of his word. And as we do that in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we speak God's gospel wisdom to one another with joy, okay? That's a key thing I want you to see here. This is a joyful tone he's talking about. That's why God tells us to speak and sing his wisdom with music, okay? Because singing God's truth, making melody to the Lord is an expression of joy in the Lord, an expression of delight in God. And, and, and that's why Paul says specifically, I want you to make melody to the Lord with your hearts, okay? He doesn't say with your lips. Obviously, that's the way it comes out is through our lips, but where do those words that come to our lips come from? From our hearts. And so the, what he's saying is it doesn't matter how good your, your, your voice is. What God wants is for you to sing to him with your heart, the Lord wants us to worship him with our hearts as we celebrate his love and we celebrate his faithfulness to, his, to him. Um, and then Paul lists three different types of songs to sing in our hearts. He tells us, sing the Psalms together. So God has given us the words to sing in the Psalms of scripture. And, and, and so now we in Christ get to celebrate that these Psalms are not just, you know, abstract words that don't mean anything to us or happy thoughts that someone wrote two, 3,000 years ago, but they're actually the promises that we get to sing now because they belong to us in Jesus Christ. That is great news. And then he says, sing hymns, which probably refers to short songs that the early Christians memorized and sang when they were together. Um, we read about the the disciples singing some hymns, short songs that they knew that were memorized. And, and then he tells us to sing spiritual songs together, which probably refers to, to new songs that kind of overflow out of your heart. But the big point here is that, is that because of all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ, we have a song to sing, you guys. <laughs> we have never-ending songs of joyful worship to sing to our God who loves us. He loves us so much. And so what, he's, what the Lord is telling us is this. You are wise, child, to seek your joy in the Lord through singing to him. Just like that. Through singing to him, okay? You are, you are wise to do that. And then second, in verse 20, 
Be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled, joyful followers of Jesus are thankful people. And isn't that an area we all need to grow in? (laughs) Just being thankful. Paul said this numerous times so far in this letter uh, that, that living a life of thankfulness to God honors the, the Lord, uh, it, and at the same time, it also helps us greatly. Because what does thankfulness do for us? Well, it really edifies us. It, it, giving thanks to the Lord lifts our spirits. Giving thanks reminds us of all the ways that God has already shown his loving kindness to us. If you read through the Old Testament, you see God tell us, remember, 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 remember what I've done, who I am. We need to constantly remember and give thanks for the Lord and how he has carried us to this day and how he will continue to give us grace uh, until we see him. There's a lot of wisdom in that old hymn. I was thinking about this old hymn. I think, I think it was one of my grandma's favorite hymns. It was, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done, right? It's a great song to sing. James 1, 17 to 18 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, If you ever have difficulty giving thanks to God, open his word and God will give you the words to give thanks to him. He is the giver of every good gift. Read the Psalms. Know that it's okay to lament sometimes. One third of the Psalms are lament. Lord, I don't don't know where you're at. I don't feel you right now. But even in our lament, we find ways to praise and thank the Lord. And sometimes we need God to give us the words to do that. Read the epistles. Read the the first chapter of Ephesians. Read scripture to help you remember how much God loves you. Read scripture to help you remember that you're a cherished child of the king now through faith in Jesus. And then third, in verse 21, be filled with the spirit, submitting to one another, out of reverence for Christ. So living wisely in the fullness of the Spirit means living a life of submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. And willingly submitting yourself to one another requires humility. And joyfully submitting to one another requires a joyful humility that must come from the Lord and be done for the glory of the Lord. What we see in scripture is that God is not a God of chaos. He says that. He's a God of order. And that is the story of our universe. That's the story of our world. That's the story of our very being. That God has brought beauty and order out of chaos for our good and for his glory. And out of love for God, then, we submit to one another according to the order he's created. And God says in his word that we, as his body, submit to Jesus because he's our head. Uh, Romans 13 says that as a general principle, Christians submit to the governing authorities. Paul writes, there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. 
That's a general principle. We, as church members, submit ourselves to a local church and to the elders that the local church appoints. Wives submit to husbands. Children submit to parents. Workers submit to those over them. These are the examples that Paul lists and that we will look at in future weeks. But again, what, what is the heart behind this? What drives our desire, actually, to submit to one another? Paul says it. Reverence for King Jesus. Out of reverence for the king. In some of your translations, we'll say fear out of fear of the king who ordered all things. So this is great news for us because this means that the president's not our highest authority. It means a governor's not our highest authority. It means that uh, our church is not the highest authority. Your husband is not the highest authority. Parents are not the highest authority. Bosses aren't. The Lord Jesus is the highest authority, okay? This is very, very good news. He is the one to whom you must ultimately give an account of yourself, is what scripture says. So Jesus is the one also who ordered things. He's the one who, in his wisdom, which we don't totally understand, ordered the creation of which we are part. And thankfully, this is the great news, King Jesus is the same one who died for us and who loves us. He is the one who saves us and will sustain our salvation through all eternity. He's the one to whom we gladly submit and we tremble gladly before him. And so in humility and in wisdom, being filled with the spirit, we submit to one another out of reverence for King Jesus, okay? So among other things here, being filled with the spirit means joyfully making melody with our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always to God for everything by his spirit and humbly submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, for King Jesus. And so this week I was just thinking, you know, maybe we can think about these things and meditate on on them and may we all seek to be filled with the spirit as we do these things because this is the Lord's will for us. This is the life of wisdom. And being filled with the spirit sometimes You feel it and sometimes you don't. But I'll tell you what, when you do, it's the sweetest thing in the world. Living by the power of the Spirit is is just an incredible gift of grace that we all just need to pray for. Because for for us as individuals, for our families and for the church, because that's when we're living in step with with, with the Lord. And it's, it's a true blessing and it's the way we were created to exist in a love relationship with God.